In the name of God, who is creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. Whew! All right. (laughs) We are getting into a part of Matthew's gospel where if we were on Zoom, I would mute him, turn off my video, and gather myself before responding. The previous chapter, 21, begins with Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem that we read about every year on Palm Sunday. Great, that's all well and good. Right after that, though, Jesus goes into the temple and overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of the people selling doves. A little self-righteous and intense, but warranted. I'll give him that one. Then he leaves the city and goes to Bethany where he comes across a fig tree with no fruit and hangrily throws a temper tantrum and curses the fig tree never to bear fruit again. One of the all-time most perplexing moments in Jesus' ministry. After that, some people question the source of his authority, and he challenges them right back and refuses to answer their questions. And then, after all that, Jesus launches into these three sort of extreme parables, back-to-back, about the kingdom of heaven. The parable of the two sons, the parable of the wicked tenants we heard last week, and finally, the parable of the wedding banquet we hear this morning that ends with someone being cast out to the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, sorry, Jesus, I don't really want to hear it right now. You've been on a real tear, and I'm not in the mood for you to tell me I'm going to be cast out into the outer darkness for wearing the wrong clothes to a hypothetical wedding. Now, this is my honest gut response to this parable, which, of course, is unreliable at best and often overly reactionary. However, I typically find that when I have such strong gut reactions to things, there's something there that needs to be interrogated within my own heart. This is why I need that mute button and a timeout to really consider the urgency and intensity with which Jesus is speaking and acting in the Gospel of Matthew. This Gospel was written by a subject of the Roman Empire which was characterized by a hierarchy in which few powerful men and their families ruled and everyone else was at the bottom, with really no one in between. It stands to reason that the society of the time would have the original readers and listeners believe that the wealthy and powerful men at the top of the proverbial food chain would be the first to be invited, well, anywhere really. So the beginning of this parable might have come as a welcome relief to its original audience. The first people invited to the wedding banquet, the preferred guests, turned their back on the invitations and were deemed unworthy. The king then instructs his slaves to go out into the streets and invite everyone, good and bad, to come to the wedding banquet and enjoy the feast which has been prepared. Okay, I'm on board with this parable so far. The people who thought they were too good for the invitation have been replaced with any and everyone who responds to the invitation, regardless of their social status or unworthiness. But then we have that difficult part about the end about a man who shows up not wearing a wedding robe. Maybe this is the part that evokes such a strong gut reaction from me. Aside from my chronic fear of being underdressed, it also conjures up a feeling of not belonging, of not being good enough, of being the one person singled out as different and unwanted. Surely this isn't what God intends for us. This story kind of reminds me of a time in second grade when a girl who I'll call Betty for the purposes of the retelling of this story invited me to her Barbie-themed birthday party. Now, as you can imagine, 
Uh, Barbies were not really that my thing at that time in my life, but I was happy to be invited and excited to be one of the girls. A couple of days before the birthday party, at recess, on the swing set, I remember it clear as day, Betty told me that she had invited too many people and that I was uninvited. <gasps> Can you imagine? The heartbreak. Here I was thinking I was one of the girls and that Betty really wanted me to come to her birthday party. I don't specifically remember what happened after that, but my guess is that at some point I cried to my mom about what happened and she probably called Betty's mom who then made Betty re-invite me on, to the party on very short notice. Well, two problems. One is now I feel super weird inside because I know that I'm the one person that Betty would cut from her second grade guest list if given the opportunity. Prior experience has told me that. And two, I don't have a cute Barbie-style dress to wear to the party, and I'm going to feel really left out when all the other girls show up in their cute dresses. Well, cut to me having an absolute meltdown at the Goodwill about how I don't even want to go to the party anymore, and Betty is mean, and it won't even be fun, and I don't even like wearing dresses. Well, my mom wasn't having any of that. Just a couple nights earlier, I was crying into her chest about being uninvited. After I calmed down, or more like my mom calmed me down and stopped me from making a scene, we found a cute little teal dress with lace on it, a pink sash around the waist, and it fit perfectly. I put on the dress and my mom took me to Betty's house, where I drank enough Sprite that I thought I was going to float away, and ate my weight in gummy bears and pretzels. I had so much fun at the party, especially because I beat all the other girls and pinned the hair bow on Barbie, that I for completely forgot about being uninvited and reinvited and having nothing to wear. There was something in finding that dress that made me feel like I belonged at Betty's party. Almost immediately after we found it, my attitude completely changed. And I felt like not only did I, would I not be left out, I felt like I actually wanted to go. That dress transformed me in, for a day into a Barbie girl, into a girl who had enough confidence to show up somewhere she wasn't even sure she was wanted. For me, at the time, it was all about the dress. Looking back on it now, it wasn't about the dress at all, but about the personal transformation that the dress represented. It was about me working through the feelings of unworthiness and being an outsider, and showing up as a different, more self-assured person. In our gospel this morning, it's not a Barbie dress, but a wedding robe that represents that transformation that makes us ready to accept God's invitation to, the, to feast at the banquet prepared for us. Of course, we know that this parable is allegorical, and despite my gut reaction of taking Jesus a little too literally, it's not about whether we're wearing the proper attire at all. It's about accepting the invitation to the transformation that is asked of us when we are called. It's about what the wedding robe represents. God's invitation to the kingdom of heaven is extended equally to everyone, good and bad. No one is inherently more or less worthy than anyone else of that call. But not everyone responds to the call in the same way. Some ignore the invitation altogether. Some, like the man who doesn't don the wedding robe, accept the invitation, but refuse to surrender to the transformation required of the kingdom of heaven. And I totally get that. Just like I had to give in to the idea that even though maybe Betty thought I wasn't good enough to get invited to her party, when I put on that secondhand dress, I knew I was good enough. The only thing standing in my way at that point was my own fear, not Betty, 
not a dress, and certainly not a bunch of other second grade girls. When we can step out of our own fear of not being good enough or not having the right clothes to wear, we truly hear the call of the Holy One to come feast at the banquet that has been prepared for us since before creation. The only thing that's asked of us in that response is that we outwardly wear the transformation that takes place in our hearts when we clothe ourselves in Christ. What does that look like exactly? Well, for starters, it looks like forgiveness. The first, step, the first step to me going to Betty's party and actually having fun was forgiving Betty for hurting my feelings. Now, I know this is a silly story from childhood and not all the characters line up exactly with the parable, but the lesson here is still valid. Forgiveness of ourselves and others is a core tenet of new life in Christ. It's right there in the Lord's Prayer. It looks like knowing that we are worthy of the invitation. And therefore, everyone around us is also worthy of the invitation. It looks like fighting against systems of oppression that keep others from flourishing in our society. It looks like boldly proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand and there is room enough for everyone. It looks like a life lived squarely at the intersection of love of God, love of self, and love of neighbor. When we answer that invitation to the wedding banquet, we, trans we respond with a transformed life, and we leave behind the tattered rags of hatred and bigotry, of self-righteousness and judgment, of self-loathing self and ungratefulness. We put on the wedding robe of belonging and belovedness, of kindness, love, forgiveness, and mercy, of justice and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen.